Our second reading today comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. If you were in church a few weeks ago, you might recall that we read the introduction to this letter in our worship, the first nine verses of the first chapter. And you might recall that after reading that, we talked a little bit about how the best way to characterize the Corinthian church, according to Paul, is that it was a hot mess. Division, infighting, greed, it was all there. Now, if you are hoping to yourself that by the time we get to today's reading, three chapters in, that somehow things have changed, you will be sorely disappointed. So let us listen once more to Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the third chapter this day, beginning with the first verse. Paul writes saying, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Paul writes. Apollos watered it. God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon title is 10 Seconds. Let us pray. Oh God, in these days when 10 seconds feels like a year, we pray that you'll slow us down that you'll calm our hearts, that you will plant your seed of grace. Indeed, O oh God, we pray for your spirit to dwell near to us now, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Paul planted... Apollos watered, and God grew. It's an amazing image, isn't it? When I first read it earlier this week, what immediately came to my mind was this short video clip that I showed to our elders, the governing body of our church, as part of their devotional before their January session meeting. It was a clip about two and a half minutes long of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. 
accepting the Lifetime Achievement Award at the 1997 Emmys. Begins with Fred turning to his wife, he gives her a kiss on the cheek and he walks on stage and no sooner has he stepped up to the mic than he sort of lets Fred Rogers come through. He begins calmly talking to the audience there in that massive auditorium saying, you know, all of us have special ones who have loved us into being. And he does something that I don't think anyone has ever done at an award show before or since. He asks the audience, he says, will you take 10 seconds with me? Take just 10 seconds to think of the people in your life who have helped you become who you are. Will you take just 10 seconds, he asked them, to, to think of those people in your life who have cared about you and wanted what is best for you in life. And then holding the Emmy in one hand, he pushes back his sleeve to reveal his watch, and he says, I'll watch the time. And he gives them 10 seconds to ponder. The late preacher and pastor of the Baptist tradition, Carlisle Marney, coined a term that I think describes those kinds of people. He called them balcony people. Balcony people, you see, are the people who sit in the metaphorical balconies of all of our lives and cheer us on. They're the ones who yell down encouragement to us, particularly in times of challenge. They are people, Marnie says, who call forth the best in us. Sometimes even call forth those gifts of God in us that we didn't even know were there. Balcony people, in other words, are people who plant. They plant seeds of courage and hope and faith. We all have balcony people. Maybe yours is a school teacher a school teacher who stayed late after the school day ended to help you in an area where you were struggling. Or maybe it was a teacher who, who saw in you this curiosity and they helped nurture it. Maybe your balcony person came along later. Maybe it was a, a professor who, in the course of their class, led you to that aha moment that then fundamentally change the direction of the path you walked for the rest of your life. Maybe your balcony person is a parent or a grandparent or, or a neighbor who, who was the first one to pick you up on a Sunday morning and bring you to church. Or maybe it was someone once you were at church, it was that Sunday school teacher, that confirmation mentor, that youth advisor. Maybe it was just the, the face of that person who turned to you, the very first person, and introduced themselves to you. And that was what, 40 years ago now? Right? We all have balcony people in our lives. Maybe it was a boss or, or a best friend or someone who started as a stranger and then became so much more. Paul was a balcony person for the Corinthian church. I mean, literally, right? Paul was the one who literally planted the seed of faith in their hearts. 
Before Paul, the gospel, it had not even crossed the Aegean Sea. No one knew the good news of Jesus Christ. And after Paul, their lives would never be the same. Paul is someone who came and called forth something in the Corinthian people that they didn't even know was there. He was one who encouraged them in the faith. Paul planted. In Apollos, he watered. And God grew. Now, we don't know much about Apollos. There's a little bit here in this section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. There's a little bit more late in the book of Acts. What we do know is he was Jewish. He was from the Roman city of Alexander. He was apparently smart, articulate, well-versed in the scriptures. But beyond that, we don't know what his particular beliefs or, or theology were. What we do know about Apollos, though, was that he was called to a specific role. Right, Paul and his missionary journeys, he followed a familiar pattern. He would come into a city, he would plant a church, he would stay for a little while, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years occasionally, but he would always move on. He would always go on to that next place until the end of his life. He would always move on. And in his place, someone would stay behind. That was Apollos. Apollos was someone who was called to stay behind, to nurture this, this new Christian community, to literally water this new Christian community, which leads me to my question. Because all the ingredients are there in this text for a growing, thriving church, right? You had Paul there planting seeds. You had Apollos there watering them. So why in the world? Are things still such a hot mess? Why are they mired in conflict and division? Why is there quarreling and jealousy? Why is, is Paul having to liken them to an infant who is not ready for solid food? Right? Why is Paul having to write this letter at all? And there's the answer. Right there in the text. Because Paul says... You have forgotten that it is neither the one who plants nor the one who waters, but only God who makes things grow. I got an email about two weeks ago now from John McCall. If John McCall were not as remarkable a person and Christian as he is, I wouldn't talk about him as much as I do from this pulpit. John McCall is a Presbyterian Church USA mission co-worker now for over two decades in Taiwan. He's a six-foot-something North Carolina fellow who speaks fluent, flawless Mandarin Chinese. Anyone here tried to learn Mandarin Chinese? He's one of these people in my life and for others in our church as well, who as soon as you meet him, you realize that you are standing in the presence of an actual Christian. That's John McCall. John wrote a note to our church and to several of his other sponsoring congregations back in the States. 
in the face of this coronavirus that is now spreading throughout the world and of course the epicenter in Asia. Taiwan has not been too seriously affected as of yet. There have been 18 people diagnosed but no deaths. But John wrote in this letter about how nonetheless there is just a wave of fear everywhere he turns. He says when you ride the subway in Taipei these days, you can just look around and see fear in people's eyes. He sent a picture in this email of a two-hour-long line of people waiting at the pharmacy to get their weekly ration of two masks per person. He said, I don't have two hours to wait in line. He said, anytime someone coughs in public, it's as if they have pulled out a gun. It's that bad right now. About three weeks ago now, John attended church at one of the congregations that is pastored by a former student of his. This is what he does almost every Sunday. He goes into the interior regions, primarily of Taiwan, and he visits with these pastors who he has taught in the seminary there that minister to these largely aboriginal Taiwanese communities. And he said when he got to this church, everyone's temperature was taken at the door. He said the pastor during the greetings and announcements spoke about the importance of people wearing their masks and not shaking hands during the passing of the peace. Interestingly, he noted the choir was the only group that didn't wear masks. <laughs> and he said they sang quite beautifully. The pastor, though, he remarked in this letter, then stepped into the pulpit and spoke about how as Christians, 5% of the population in Taiwan is Christian. How this congregation of this small group of people in this nation living in fear, he spoke to them about how as Christians they don't have to fear. And he challenged them how they, in the midst of this anxious population, how they might be uniquely positioned to be agents of Christ's peace. John wrote in the letter how pleased he was at the way this pastor communicated God's peace to his congregation. I thought about all the students, he wrote, I have taught over so many years who are now serving throughout Taiwan. And I stopped to give thanks to God that they too are agents of peace in a time of worry. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but friends, only God can grow faith like that. You see, I think Paul is writing to the Corinthians here, and he's writing to us in many ways as well, to tell them to not forget to look up to their balcony, because we're living in a time of what do you want to call it? I was telling the Sunday school class that I was uh, in Atlanta last week with a group of other pastors I gather with monthly, but twice a year in person. And we were there in Atlanta, and the theme of our retreat this time was care for the soul in an age of disillusionment. I sort of thought that's a good word. 
There's a lot of disillusionment, isn't there? There's disease, yes, and there is dis-ease, yes. Some have written how we are living in a time, an epidemic, you might say, of loneliness. Loneliness plaguing people of all ages from young to old. How we are living in in an era of, of anxiety. How so many of us gather in church week after week, wake up day after day, and carry a heavy, heavy grief on our hearts. Disillusionment. And that was before we even got to the fact it's an election year too, huh? You see, times like these, I think, just as in Paul's time, in times like these, it is tempting for all of us to place our hope in one person, in one leader, in one nation, in in one church, right? And trust me, there are plenty of people who are willing to let you place all your hope in them. It's tempting in times like these, just as it was in Paul's time. And Paul is writing to us then. When he calls to remind us, you know, you can plant and you can water all you want in those fields. But the seeds of true peace, the seeds of that faith that frees us from a life bent in fear, those seeds will not begin to grow until we are able to lift our eyes over the anxious crowds and glimpse those faces in our balconies. I want to try an experiment. Y'all willing? Nervous laughter. (laughs) I want us to take 10 seconds to look into our balcony. I want you to see the faces of those who are up there who who have helped you become the person you are. Those people who have planted and and watered in your life. And I want you to stop and, and give thanks to God for those people. But then I want us to keep looking. Because I believe that there is another face up there in each of our balconies. It's the face of the one who loved us into being. It's the face of the one who forgives, who encourages, who comforts us. It's the face of the one whose heart fills with joy the moment we are joy-filled and whose heart is the first to break every time our heart breaks. It's the face of the one who claims us just as these waters have claimed Teddy today. We love you, Teddy. (laughs) Now, before you look for that face, recognize that it may look different to each of us. But the way you know you have found that face is because you'll feel your heart calm and a peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding, wash over you. Ten seconds. I'll watch the time.
Amen.